The words that I would like to call your attention to this morning are in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and I will be reading through verse 15. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? The invalid man answered him, sir, I have no one when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming... Another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day, it was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, That was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them. He that made me whole, the same said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, what man is it which said to you, take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had not conveyed had had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you." The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him whole. This is another one of those passages in the Bible that we tend to glance over and not really catch the significance. But if if we take our time and we meditate upon this passage, we will see a God-like mercy 
And, and that is exactly what Christ shows to this man. But he does it in a particular context. He does it in a context of great suffering, of foolish tradition, and of legalistic tradition. So there's great suffering, there's foolish traditions, and there's legalistic traditions in this passage. It's, it's very clear, if, even if you're a casual reader of the Bible, or just a casual reader of the Gospels, that Jesus performed miracles. He performed miracles all the time. And any person who has a difficulty with believing that Jesus performed miracles has a difficulty because he doesn't really believe God. That's where the difficulty lies, is belief in God. Now here you have all of these historical um, points uh, that are made here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. It's not clear what feast this is. There, there, there are many uh, so commentators and preachers and writers are all over the place. And John just doesn't tell us which feast this is. But there was a feast going on. And Jesus, being a good Jew, right, being born under the law, he goes to Jerusalem during this feast. And of course, during these times of feast, the city is just filled to the brim with people. It's, it's packed. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And now you, you have this description right, of, of these, these pools. And this pool is called Bethesda. And around this pool... It, Interesting note here. Jesus is, is going to uh, heal this man in this narrative. And, you know, people knock the uh, historical reliabilities of miracles. And one of the things that uh, liberal, unbelieving commentators would do is say, you know, this place doesn't even exist. We don't know where it is. But recently, we, we actually know exactly where this place is. If you look up the Church of St. Anne, that's exactly where these pools are. You can see pictures of them. So, uh, the, the historical events, right, and the historical, uh, the historically accurate picture that John portrays people, places, things, affirms the truthfulness of the works Christ accomplished. Because He's putting his finger on a particular place. And the people he was writing to would have known exactly what he was talking about. And many of these people would have been alive who were there or who heard of this miracle occurring. So these historical markers, really, they strengthen the uh, truthfulness of the account. Now, look at the condition the condition here that, that Jesus walks into, a very uh, miserable condition, a very miserable condition. These men and women are helpless. In these, these five porches, lay a great multitude, and these people are uh, weak. So there are all of these, it's a very miserable condition. All, these men and women are helpless, they're helpless. And they're taken up 
with foolish tradition. Some of your Bibles don't have verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain uh, season into the pool and troubled the waters. Whosoever then first, after troubling the waters, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Yet, um, listen to what the man says in verse 7. The man says, I have no one when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He's basically saying the same thing verse 4 says. They had some tradition, maybe involved an angel, where they, they believed that something happened to the water. The, 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 maybe the water it could have been a natural spring that now is dried up, or the water could have been pumped in, and then when the water was pumped in, it moved around. And the people believed there was some healing element to it. They were trapped in foolish tradition. And many of us tend to do this. Right? When, when, uh, if, if you look to the world, what do they do when, when there's times of trouble and distress? They, they look to anything and anyone that can give them any comfort. Right? Elderberry, you know, <laughs> essential oils, uh, healing crystals, chiropractors, whatever, right? Whatever they can do, whatever myth they can take up, they'll go after it to find some kind of relief for their misery. And no matter how much they try, right? so some people do it with, with drugs, some people do it with alcohol, some people do it with food, some people do it with sex, some people do it with money, whatever it is. They, they, they try all of these things, and no matter how much they try, they remain in the same miserable condition, and they can't get out of it. And this man and these people who were diseased were in the same position. You have to remember that in the Gospels, in all of the Bible, of course, but specifically here referring to Jesus in the Gospels, that the miracles reveal who he is. Right? They, they tell us about Christ, about who he is. So look at verse 36. Verse 36 of chapter 5. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, that I came from heaven. That's what these works declare to you. Not, not only does he say that, but in chapter 10, verse 38, he says this. Chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus says this. I'll read from verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works 
that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in Him. That, that there is an essential union between me and the Father. That I am God. And He sent me. I'm His Son from heaven. So, so the, the miracles, or the word that John likes to use is signs, the signs point to who He is. He is God. But they also point to spiritual realities. And, and here, this is, um, it's subtle. And this is, this is one of the places where knowing Greek is helpful. So, look at verse 8. Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And in, on verse 21, listen to what Jesus says the Father does. For as the Father raises up the dead, that's the same word. So the, the, the raising up, physical, real, literal raising up of this man is just a picture of when the Son of Man comes and he says, arise, and the graves are empty. Everybody's coming out of the ground. So they point to spiritual realities. Right? Jesus can really raise a lame man, and he can really raise a spiritually dead man. And he can still do both today because he is God, and he does do both today. So they reveal who he is, they point to spiritual realities. And he comes into this, this, this uh, just helpless condition. And he sees a man. Now a certain man was there with an infirmity. 38 years. You think about that. He's been hanging around this colonnade by this pool on his mat trying to get into the water so that he might be healed for 38 years. You know, the life expectancy at this point in history was like 45, 50 max. You're old if you're 50 back then. Right? They, they lived rough lives, and it was very hostile. So the majority of his life, this man is an invalid. He can get around some, but not enough to, to make his way into the waters to, quote-unquote, get healed. It's an interesting point here that, that you have to um, pick up between the nobleman and his son and this man. Think of, the, think of some of these com- contrasts, really. The noble, with the nobleman and his son, the nobleman comes to Jesus. This man doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus sees him and goes to him. He points him out. And there's a bunch of sick people. And Jesus picks this one person. Right? The noble, with the nobleman and the son, 
the son had somebody to go to Jesus for him so that he might be healed. This man has no one to help him. He is absolutely destitute. With the nobleman, he believed that Jesus could heal him. This man doesn't even know who Jesus is. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. Jesus said, do you want to be made better? He says, I got nobody to put me in the pool. He doesn't think, are you going to heal me? He's still thinking about his tradition. Put me in, you know, his superstition. Put me in the water. Can you, you, are you saying you're going to put me in the water? So he has no faith. With the nobleman, once the miracle is done, his faith increases. This man never has faith. He never believes. He doesn't believe. He doesn't even show up anymore in the story. And the last thing he does, listen to what he does. So the Jewish officials, they hate Jesus, and it's pretty clear that this man has been healed. So they ask him, who did this? I don't even know who the guy is, he says. I don't know. When Jesus comes to him and says, uh, sin no more, what does the man do? He goes back and tells the Pharisees, hey, I know the guy who told me to pick up my mat. And because of their traditions, they would have persecuted Jesus because of their legalism, their legalistic traditions. This, uh, uh, believing in miracles does not require faith. It doesn't. This man got one. No faith in Jesus. The Pharisees knew Jesus was doing them. They knew it. And look at how they talk to the, to the man. What do they say to the man? They say to the man, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but this is just extra. I'll go back to my outline. This is, listen to what they say to the man. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. I don't think at this point they knew. They just saw some guy carrying his mat, pillow. There's different ways of describing this. It was basically some sort of a cushion that somebody who was an invalid would carry around with them because they couldn't get around well, so they had to take breaks there in the desert. It's, it's hot, so they would put down this mat and they would, they would lay on it. So they see him with it, and their legalistic tradition, it crops up. And he answers them. He that made me whole, he's the one who said to me to take up my mat and walk. And look at the question that they ask. What man is it that made you whole? No. We don't care about that. We don't care that you were crippled for 38 years. Care less. Who's the guy who told you to pick up the mat? Because we're going we're gonna to take him out behind the synagogue and flog him. No, no concern for this man. 
This is what legalistic religion does. There's no care for for people. It's just we we've got these rules. You want to you want to be with us? You you keep the rules, you're good. You don't keep the rules, no good. So, anyways, you have all of that going on, right? Now, so uh, back to verse, back to verse uh, six. So you have all of these sick people. Jesus could have healed all of them. Every, every last single one of them, he could have healed them. And he could have healed them with just a word. They all would have been healed. But he didn't. Because Jesus didn't come into the world to just do miracles. There's, there's, there's something more important, right, than the physical effects of sin. And it's the spiritual effects of sin. And that's what Jesus deals with. That, that is what he came into the world to deal with. And what John is showing is that by curing the physical effects of sin, you don't do anything to the heart. They, they don't go together always, particularly in this instance. So Jesus sees him. Jesus sees the man. Jesus knew that he had been there for a long time. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows. Or maybe he asked. Maybe he sees the guy and he asks somebody, who's he? he?" Well, he's been here like 30-something years just laying on that mat. But he knew the man had been there for a long time. And he says to the man, will you be made whole? Do you have a desire? Do you want to be healed? You think about the compassion of God. This man is bound up in his tradition. And Jesus comes to him. Right? He is seeking those who did not ask for him. That's, that's what God does. People who are not interested, they're not looking for him. They find him. And he, he just shows up. Here I am. He loves delivering the needy. He loves answering their cries for help. That's what God does. He loves delivering the poor and defending the helpless. He loves that. The the descriptions of Jesus in in the Old Testament, of God in the Old Testament, he's a shepherd, right? And he, he gathers lambs into his arms. He holds them to his bosom and cares for them. And the crazy thing is this guy's an unbeliever. Uh, you, you, um, when, when, uh, sometimes when we get converted, we have this distorted view of God. Right, that um, because of maybe the doctrine of election or various things, that he doesn't help or support the unbeliever, but he does. 
He's, he's, everything good that ever happens comes from God. Everything. There's nothing good in this world that comes from the devil or by mistake, right? Just, oh, you know, uh, this guy has a beautiful family and a lovely wife and children and a good career. He's a pagan. God slipped up, right? Didn't know what he was doing. No, no. God, God is kind. He's gracious. He's good. I love what Calvin writes specifically here, this man must have been praying to, to be healed. He wanted to be healed. Listen to what Calvin writes. This is really perceptive. He's talking about prayer, and he's talking about God answering the prayer of unbelievers. He says this, that God, that, that prayers... I know this is probably stripping some of your gears, and I think that's good, because I'm going to show you in the Bible that uh, Calvin is correct. That prayers that God grants are not always pleasing to Him. He says that they're not always pleasing to Him, but He grants them. But insofar as example is concerned, what Scripture teaches is revealed by clear proof that God helps the miserable and hearkens to the groans of those who, unjustly afflicted, implore his aid. Therefore, that he executes his judgments while complaints of the poor rise up to him, although they are unworthy worthy to receive even a trifle. When, when God sees oppression in the world, right? when, when, when people suffer, in the world, and good things come to them, it's because God intervened. He said, okay, that's enough. No more. Right? Whether the person is converted or not, all good comes from God. You gotta, there's no mistakes. There's no accidents. For how often did he, punishing the cruelty robberies, violence, lust, and other crimes of the ungodly, silencing their boldness and rage, also overturning their tyrannical power, attests that he helps those wrongly oppressed who yet beat the air with praying to an unknown God. And one psalm clearly teaches this, and it's Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, verse 6, verse 13, and verse 19, these people do not know God. They don't know Him. They don't believe in Him truly and genuinely. Yet what do they do? They cried out unto the Lord in their trouble, verse 6, and He delivered them out of their trespasses, excuse me, out of their distress. Verse 13, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 19, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Repeatedly, constantly. This is the character of God. This, this is God-like 
mercy. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what he says to do. That is God-like mercy. Doing kind things for people who hate you. Loving them. That's what what God-like mercy, that's what it looks like. It comes into the, the, the helplessness of, of foolish traditions. Jesus comes right into that situation. And he heals this man. This man was, it was a Jewish man. He should have known that um, in Exodus 15, 26, there's a, there's a name for God. And it's the Lord, your healer. And he said to the people in the book of Exodus, if, if you're, you have it, and there, there he turned the bitter water, the waters of Marah, he turned them sweet. Remember, they, they get to this place after being delivered. Exodus chapter 15 is the song of Moses. Moses is in Miriam, and they're, they're singing, God delivered us, there's trumpets, people dancing in the street. It's like a Disney movie, right? Everybody's dancing. And then... As soon as the song ends, the people find bitter water and they complain. They don't, they don't fathom that the God who splits seas could fix this for them. They don't, they don't think, maybe we should pray. Right? How about if we pray? Well, guys, let's stop complaining. Let's pray and maybe God will make it rain or something. I don't know. And it's in that context, in the context of their disobedience, that he says to them, if you listen to my word, if you follow after me, I'll heal you, because I am the Lord, your healer. And this man, in Israel, it appears to me that the thought doesn't even cross his mind. Because when Jesus asks him if he wants to be made whole, what does he turn to? His foolish tradition. Oh, you're going to put me in the water? This is what sin does. It, it blinds people. So then Jesus just speaks. Verse 8. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. This is the controversy with the Jewish people now. Uh, and here it says the Jews, but in the Gospel of John, this reference to the Jews is the religious leaders. So the religious leaders, they had all of their traditions, right? You had some, some of the people just believing old wives' tales about angels and water bubbling up. The Pharisees had just massive traditions, I was listening. I was listening to one pastor, and he made the point that the the Pharisees uh, would would debate with each other whether uh, a man with a wooden leg was working on the Sabbath when he wore his wooden leg because he was carrying the piece of wood. <laughs> right? Just ridiculous. This is just absolutely ridiculous. Right? But 
That is what legalism is, though, right? Legalism really doesn't make any sense. If, if, if somebody says to you, oh, uh, you've got to get baptized to be saved, or if somebody says to you, you, you know, uh, you've got to keep the, you know, you, you got, you've got to wear a skirt so long, and you can't wear makeup, or your hair has to be, right? You, you've got, all of that is really just foolish. Particularly because it loses, and next week's sermon is on the Sabbath, but it loses, particularly here, on this whole issue of the Sabbath controversy, but it, it loses, specifically now addressing the Sabbath, uh, it loses the heart or the intention of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was meant to be a day of joy. And what did they do? They perverted it. That's what legalism does. Legalism takes good things and it distorts and destroys and it binds and it oppresses. But Christ doesn't, doesn't care about human traditions. He has no care for them. So he heals the man and the man is made complete. There's no partial miracle here. And this is the same way that Christ heals spiritually with a word. He, it, with his own word, he still to this day imparts life to men and women who are not just spiritually lame but dead in trespasses and sins. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The reason this man was crippled, was lame for 38 years, was because of his sin. That's the point that Jesus is making there. There's not always a connection like that. So look at John chapter 9, verse 3. Look at John chapter 9, verse 3. This is the, the uh, blind man. His disciples ask him in verse 2, uh, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right? This is what they're thinking. Well, well, you know, somebody must have sinned because he's uh, got blindness. And Jesus says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. In that instance, had nothing to do with his sin. That's just the way that he was born in this instance, the way that Jesus addresses this man, and he makes this emphatic statement, he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. This is a bad thing that happened to you. We don't know what the sin was. Maybe he was a drunk, right? Was a drunk, was walking up on the roof of his house, fell over, and maimed himself. Who knows? We don't know what the sin was. But it's true. That sin destroys. It, it, it ruins. Not, it, not only does it ruin us physically, but it ruins us spiritually. 
so that even during the preaching of the word, right, you, you, you can't, you don't see the glory of Christ, his kindness, his patience, his mercy, those things, they're not apparent to you because you've ruined yourself with sin. And the difficulty is that he is the one who has to save you. You can't save yourself. He's got to get you out of that mess. So he comes to the man and he says to him, sin no more. The idea here, of course, is not sinless perfection. What Jesus is saying, look, you've been restored now. And um, there are instances all over the Old Testament but you can think of instances yourself. If some unbeliever that you knew gets just terminally ill, right? At the point of death, and boom, they're better. What do they do? They go back to sinning, right? Like a dog returns to his vomit, they go back to their sinful life. Instead of thinking, well, oh, God was kind to me. Now, whoever it is that's up there, I don't know. Somebody was good to me, and I've got to figure out who it was because I was sick, and I'm not anymore. But this is due to the ingratitude of man. We are, we're ungrateful. Whenever good things come to us, we chalk it up to a doctor, a pill, uh, you know, a workout exercise, a special diet, you know, whatever, right? Uh, alkaline water, you know, whatever. Whatever, right? We never say, we, we, we think, and we're, we're, uh, we're so um, immersed in our own age that even as Christians, we don't have a spiritual understanding of things. We don't look uh, you know, above and beyond a particular instance. I, I, I was... Um, I was speaking to a friend this week, and um, he, was, he was saying to me, you know, I've been praying for, for God to provide this, for this particular need for a long time, you know? And the, and, and the way that God provided for the need wasn't the way that I thought he was going to. But... Once everything happened, I realized, wait a minute, like I've been praying for this for years, and there it is. And that's not how I, I had a plan. You know, God, you're going to do this and this and this other thing and these two things, and then this is going to happen. And that's not how Um, he's paying attention because he sees God's provision. We have a tendency not to. We don't think that way. We think mechanistically. Right? We're, we're, we don't, we're not spiritually minded. And when Jesus did good to this man, this man in turn, what he does is he does evil to him. Then the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Why did they know it was Jesus? The man told them. So, uh, believing in miracles, um, the Bible teaches it. We ought to. 
Right? We ought to believe that Jesus did these things because he did do them. But a person being enamored with the sensational, that proves nothing about their faith. This man received a miracle. It did nothing for him because he was in bondage. The Pharisees don't even acknowledge it. What do they fix their eyes on? Their tradition. Next week, we'll get into verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father works until now, and I work also. The, the, Jesus here continues to work the way that he worked back then, and we'll see that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the works that Christ accomplished and continues to accomplish today. We know that he sends his word and he heals us, that he delivers us from destruction Lord, help us to give thanks to you for your goodness. Help us, Lord God, to see your wonderful works to the children of men. And let us, Lord God, praise you and offer thanksgiving and declare your works to others with rejoicing. In Christ's name we pray, amen.